You're listening to a podcast about images and the artists who make them. Brought to you by the 2023 edition of Momenta, Biennale de l'Image, curated by Ji Yunhan. Entitled Masquerades, Drawn to Metamorphosis, the 18th edition of Momenta, Biennale de l'Image, presents 23 artists whose projects activate processes of transformation, mimicry, and mutation. Its goal is to shed light on the dynamics of visibility and invisibility, defining the relationships between self and other, between humans and our environment. I'm your host, Montreal artist and filmmaker Jamie Ross, and I'm meeting up with the artists showing work at this edition of Momenta for generous moments of conversation. Je suis votre animateur, artiste et vidéaste Jamie Ross. Je rencontre des artistes faisant partie de cette édition de Momenta pour des conversations enrichissantes. Les entretiens seront en français ainsi qu'en anglais. I love artists. I love having the opportunity to sit with other artists about the work we make and to look at it with rigor, with curiosity, and with delight. I'm interested in the messiness and the irregularity of communication. And I believe in the singular energy that is engendered by the places that inspire artwork. Not just our studios, galleries, or the museums where they're shown. I'm interested in the resonance of a site and the objects that accompany each artist in their practice. For this series, I join Momenta artists for an encounter at a site of their choice to hear about their process and to think about the questions their work asks. And I'm also fascinated by the paradox that is artists working with images, sharing their work in a decidedly non-visual medium, that of a conversation, a podcast. Mara Eagle invited me to meet her in her garden near Mount Royal, but it was supposed to rain, so we took shelter in the studio, which we lit with hot pink lights after we both independently ended up intuiting that pink was the episode's dress code. Following the wet, goopy weather warning, I brought some tapioca pudding as one of the objects to play with, ASMR style, under the microphone. Eat your heart out. At the sound of the bell, we begin the spell. So welcome to the Momenta Biennial Podcast. Mara Eagle. <laughs> um, let's begin with an object game. Okay. So for this for this sound game, because it's always fun to talk with visual artists who work visually, and mm-hmm. we work in sound as well, but our listeners won't be listening in with their sight. I like to play games with objects and sound. Of all of the objects on the table, of which there are one, two, three, four, five, six, which would you like to touch? Pudding. Go for it. Okay. (laughs) But this is a closed container that I'm encountering, but... Oh, that is a wet tapioca. Okay. All right. To begin the interview, we've chosen the tapioca. (laughs) Tell us about Pretty Talk, Mara. Tell us about the work that's going to be presented in the Momenta Biennial this year. So I'm super excited. Uh, Pretty Talk is a 15-minute looping animation in 3D. And what's unique about it as a project is that all of 
the sounds used in the animation, the entire soundtrack is actually produced by bird mimicry. So in making the soundtrack, which actually um, incidentally was made before any of the visual aspect of the animation, uh, to make the soundtrack, I perused, <laughs> scoured, um, was on a lengthy quest uh, on the internet. I basically um, collected hundreds and hundreds of sound bites of what I call representational sound. So birds which mimic sounds in their environment, but to a sort of a hyper-realistic degree. Um, and I collected all these sounds. And so um, a parrot or a cockatoo or a budgie or a lyre bird, um, most of these birds that I was sourcing from are living in captivity. And so they're learning sounds from a human-centered environment. And they've incorporated these sounds into their sort of vocabulary of quote-unquote calls. And then once I had enough content in my archive, I began collaging the sounds together and uh, slowly a narrative emerged. And the narrative is really sort of driven and constrained by the contents of the archive or of the sound effects library. And what resulted is basically a sort of series of inter loosely interwoven vignettes that are set in a suburban neighborhood. And you have this kind of um, facade of, of normality that's very familiar, but it really kind of quickly degenerates into a much more absurdist, slightly horrific. Um, I would say quite horrific. It's quite horrific. <laughs> it's quite grotesque. Um, and and the animation forms a perfect sort of seamless loop of repetition. And um, there's kind of this insularity about it and this repetitive, um, almost Ouroboros kind of quality, which, which I was inspired by, of course, the repetitive nature of a lot of bird speech. So that's the basis of the animation. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, for those who haven't seen the show already, the visual language is oh. garish and lurid and the colors are harsh and terrifying and also pleasurable and silly and weird and uncanny and campy. Yes, absolutely. Like very, it's like very signed Mara Eagle. Yeah, you know, it's funny because you kind of excavate your aesthetic signature as an artist. I mean, it's it was found and then you're always reinforcing like mm -hmm. your own quests, I think. Well, it's the motor that, that runs the animation. Oh, so we were working between, um, uh, we had a whole pipeline okay. um, because we were working with the most sort of reduced free versions of everything. So we cool. started off in Daz, um, which is a sort of pay-as-you-go uh, software. The software itself is free and then you kind of accumulate kits. Ah, so cool. yeah, we definitely had all manner of like kit sharing and like you know so that was the first step was designing the characters but then the characters have to be exported through a pipeline in which they are you know converted into a format readable by iClone mm. um, one person his name's Callum McConnell uh, he animated the entire film which wow. is pretty amazing yeah especially on our budget it was a low budget very DIY uh kind of workflow but yeah so then they would come out of iClone and then they would go into Cinema 4D where um, yeah 
largely myself. I did have technical assistance at the beginning, which is how I learned to do the texturing, how I learned camera rigging, how I learned lighting strategies, but um, at a very sort of generalist level. But yeah, then it, they would go into cinema and, and um, I was like, for a, lo- a lot of it, it was like, I'm the only person there. Mm. <laughs> like, cool. wow. yeah, it's, it's wild how much you can do. And then at the same time, how difficult uh, it is when you don't really know what you're doing. So much of it is just the most valuable skill is having someone on board who can solve problems. Mm. It's not what their existing skill set is. It's their ability to troubleshoot issues. Yeah, I'm not yeah. a technical person. I heavily rely on people like to help me solve problems and Mm. that's the most valuable thing i could ask for in a collaborator it's a real like post-internet piece in every manner of (laughs) like in the sense even all of the sort of infrastructure of the making was relying on you know one Mm. of these sort of major corporatized hosting platforms so yeah it's fun that's when I made the um, the making of the desktop documentary, which is a secondary piece for people who are not familiar um, or who I don't know if everyone will get to see the exhibition, but there is the, the main animation, Pretty Talk, and then there is also a secondary accompanying companion piece, which uh, is called Pretty Talk in the Making, and it's a seven-minute desk, desktop documentary-style video um, in which basically a desktop documentary for people who aren't familiar is basically like the only camera is the it's like a screen capture so the entire story is told through screen space Mm -hmm. so you have zoom boxes or you know facetime boxes you have someone doing research you have chat things coming up you have everything unfolding and it's a really great way to look at how information is structured on the on the internet how mm-hmm. not just the information we consume but also the way that it's hosted the way that it's disseminated the way that we consume it uh through various apps and i think that's just so interesting um to include that as a as a form of storytelling you know, especially, of course, during the pandemic, where mm-hmm. that was <laughs> like our lives, you know, the screen totally. really was a portal. Totally. Um, so the 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 second the film, the sort of desktop documentary in the making um, was I, I made it in that language. So and it's really apropos because that, you know, even my collaborators, that's how we were always connecting. That's how we were sharing all of the projects, even the, you know, the rendering and things like the fine, you know, everything was really mediated by, um, yeah, these platforms, which are very much of the moment mm-hmm. and things. I was reflecting yesterday, like when I first encountered your work, and I think it was um, La Machine qui enseigne les airs aux oiseaux. Mm. Um, the exhibition, yeah. the group show, I think it was, I think I know, 2022 at the Mac. Yeah. I just remember seeing that exhibition of yours or the, the, the work of yours installed. There was this huge sort of snake support where you could mm. sit on it. Um, and then the two channels of the video mm. featured um, an animation with mm-hmm. this character who was giving sort of scientific information a little <laughs> bit. And she had like a... 
I don't know, like a balaclava that was printed with <laughs> with like ornithology or something. And then there was all the flowers that are opening and closing. Yeah. Yeah, that piece is called Théâtre de l'Inconnu. And um, yeah, she was wearing a butterfly mask. Mm. She was stumbling over her words and trying to deliver this um, narrative of the life cycle of a moth at the same time as there was this sort of ambiguous, like robotic pollinator interacting with time lapse of yeah. flowers who are um, almost like violently blooming in this techno color and then there was interrupted by a constant sort of blast of opera an opera called poveri fiori which means poor flower and it's the story of a um female it, it's an aria in which the female protagonist is she's smelled from a bouquet of flowers and it's her death scene mm. um which is similar the moth is describing her own death scene and then the disco kind of <laughs> inflatable thing is actually a um, an enormous um, kind of a recreation of a silk gland. Oh, whoa. Yeah, which is the organ that produces the silk protein. From within a silk moth. Yeah, from within a, oh. a silk moth. And um, I come across the study of these like bioengineered silk glands that were actually being used to produce human collagen for use in cosmetic products so and there's this whole part in the narrative which is cobbled together by the way from various writers um including ancient writers including um wg zabald um and there's a this the part that's that i'm quoting there where she's describing a, dis- a dissection comes from Zebald. Um, and it's like, if you slip one open along the length of its back, you will discover a cluster of small intertwined tubes resembling intestines. And then she goes on to describe the tubes start at the mouth and like something about the juices flowing forth anyways i love it but it's, really, and, <laughs> no, it's not at all it's, it's a lot I, of information for that piece would you would you tell our listeners what is on the hat you're wearing as well oh there's a butterfly <laughs> oh. <laughs> so repetitive it's so funny it's nice when you have like then everything just matches in your life you know i love it i love it i love you're it i love like, it always chasing butterflies i love it but there's this really beautiful through line i think between that project and pretty talk which Mm. is that the characters are going outside and it's not a nature that we're very familiar with not a pastoral nature whatsoever but i think that there's something really interesting in the in the outdoors as it's represented in pretty talk where the suburban characters are finding like christmas lights and they're sort of Mm. passing out and they're finding these like sort of there are there are flowers waving in the grass but it's it's like there's an xbox maybe in the grass like there's all sorts of tech in there yeah and it's just a backyard as well it's a very culturally mediated space it's not you're not showing us the any sense of nature with a capital n you know i love how you put that um and it's really really apropos of sort of my my some of my intellectual foundation came from when I was studying at McGill and I was uh, I was studying in psych but most of the classes are science classes you're studying hormones in the body brain anatomy um, and then there was like one extracurricular uh, class that was an anthropology of medicine class who was taught by uh, one of my mentors Tobias Reese who is a philosopher of science um, an anthropologist of science and um, he's been super formative for me especially around this idea of like the history of nature as a concept um, and one of the things that I uh, always carried forward 
with me from what I learned studying with him over the years is this idea of that that all concepts have a history. And so when we're asking our when we're talking about nature in a intellectual or artistic milieu, it's always like, well, when did like what are what's the etymological network of this word? What is the historical technological network? At what point does a concept emerge? In the category. Where is that category exactly. from? And where is the boundary? Exactly. And and it as a sort of like um a counterpart to culture, it as a like mechanism for distinguishing humans as and culture from being outside of nature, which is like part of probably what allows us like um to exploit because it's something that is outside of us and we see it as like a resource to be mined at least in you know sort of western european philosophy and culture which is sort of what i've inherited um largely in my education and which i critique Mm -hmm. at the same time so yeah i'm really interested Mm -hmm. always in these moments um where the boundaries and they're you know at this point it's like there is no there there are no there is no i like this idea of the human wild Mm. because as much as there's no nature outside of humans there's also like humans who are constantly being like haunted Mm -hmm. (laughs) by you know Mm -hmm. nature in this quote-unquote you know traditional version so i'm really interested in the constructedness of that Mm. category and anything that allows me to kind of explore it that is and and i'm also really interested in the voice always the voice as this sort of point of escape where like discourse like becomes like air and saliva and it like escapes the body so i'm really fascinated um all of my major projects that i've done in the past five to seven years they've always started with sound um and they always have started with voices the voice and the sound is not an after fact for me as it often is for like video and animation artists who tend to be like really driven by the visuals um i am extremely visual uh but at the same time i think that working with sound allows me to work from a space that is like less intellectual and less analytic It was wild. I was looking when I was I, when I was making Pretty Talk. I really thought because there's so many sort of archives of bird sound where you can find all kinds of wild bird calls, and I was hoping to find an archive of like domestic bird calls, but it's not considered worthy of scientific study. Hmm. And I f- was so the archive that I made like there's no other archive like that. You have Irene Pepperberg's studies of Alex, and she has like lots and lots of tapes. I'm sorry, Alex is a famous African gray parrot, and Irene Pepperberg, Dr. Irene Pepperberg, is a very um, well known like scientist of bird cognition, and um, she did a lot to show how intelligent parrots are, and that it's really not a matter of mimicry. It's um, they actually understand the symbolic function of language, and their intelligence is about the level of a three and a half year old. Um, so emotional intelligence as well as linguistic intelligence. Um, they can identify materials, they can count objects, they know colors. It's wild. And so she really did a lot to show that birds were not just these machines who are mimicking, but that they um, have a much more 
complex relationship to language and th- than we would have thought. And so anyhow, I'm actually going to reach out to her. Uh, she's like adorable and amazing and super cool. So I'm going to, I'm excited. I have a bunch of people I want to reach out to with the project to sort of, that are outside the discipline of the arts. Um, just to be in conversation. I really love sharing my work with philosophers and scientists. Um I I love I love working with other thinkers that mm. are not necessarily artists. Of course, I love artists too. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Now, there's something really elegant about the way that the the birds are being how we're projecting the mimesis onto the birds mm. as they take our language. But in your project, you're taking the bird language, which is already filtered mm. or, or duplicated once, and and recharacterizing the the voices from mm. just the voice from the birds so there's mm-hmm. sort of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy happening which it just oh, feels yeah. really iterative and beautiful to see that it's like it's taking the assumption we have about the the bird and re-anthropomorphizing it yes it's also interesting because you know each bird voice and so each character is not always acted by the same bird uh but sometimes there'll be multiple utterances which are and um the that bird is has imprinted that vocal pattern from a human so (laughs) it's fascinating because of course a part of me really would love to like reach out to certain people bird owners but then i'm also really scared because there would be absolutely no it's all collaged sound just to remind people um found sound and because the collage is so massive it doesn't have like um like i'm not gonna i don't there would be no grounds for a lawsuit of you know appropriation fair use yeah because it's so complex um complex the like there's hundreds of sound bites that are used and they've been repurposed um and recontextualized to a degree that um i would land i would be protected you know but at the same time not everybody knows that and so you can I'm just so I would be so scared to like end up with a lawsuit but at the same time um you know I, I one thing one sadness that I have is to not really be able to sh- to feel like I can't share the project with people and the birds yeah and the birds and um there's a few people that are bird advocates so part of the exhibition and part of the way that um i'm framing this work is also with a fundraiser event um so i've have produced these you know sort of thematic tote bags that are going to be sold in the exhibition as a part of a fundraiser for birds um who have been abandoned and who are hopefully being rehomed it's a major problem because a lot of you know these birds live for in captivity they can live for over 60 years yeah some of them are 70 80 years macaws can live a very long time african greys cockatoos in particular and it's very difficult because um they bring incredible companionship to people and people have these beautiful relationships and yet at the same time no one can predict that far ahead in the future and so you know even if so if you pass on and you leave this bird who doesn't even know it's a bird because it's been so socialized by humans and is so emotionally attached to its owner in particular they're huge amount of work it's like having a a, an eternal four-year-old at home and you can't expect a family member to necessarily want to or even be capable of you know taking on an animal like that so um, and they're really, really uh, like uh, just high maintenance. 
as animals they're you know they're really they're they're not domesticated uh they're wild animals and so it's a very difficult and thorny issue i feel um the question of whether they should be kept as pets at all mm. but then at the same time you know the issue that there's uh thousands probably of birds even just in canada which is a small country um waiting to be adopted mm. so really it's super important that um you know i guess that people adopt uh, at the same time in the desktop documentary, so I explore this and the perspective of people who are really doing the work advocating for adopt, don't shop. But I felt it was really important to uh, have a bit of a political conversation on the side, just looking at um, consumption um, of these animals, looking at the sort of political economic environmental violence emotional psychological violence that is an undercurrent in the film i feel that the anxiety and frustration really um comes out <laughs> in the film in a way that uh for sure i collaged it but i really do see myself as working in collaboration with um another species and sort of the film as being a manifestation of like their cognition the the what they choose as sounds that are relevant that's what i had to choose from um as well as the historically specific moment in which they live they're imitating apple ringtones they're imitating uh very specific electronic appliances um and you know also just the the fact that we live in this sort of global uh, economy in which you have animals that are like trafficked from Africa on a and the Amazon, you know, on a really wide scale, and that you can just go buy a parrot for mm. fifteen hundred dollars, mm. and it can be kept in your basement basically, and it can just hang out and like learn swear words all day. And like, <laughs> yeah, what do we do with that? They're like these incredible, like flamboyant like gorgeous creatures um i also i want to mention that um i have a phobia of birds since childhood <laughs> and it's kind of why i started this project was because uh. i i was working on a different animation and i discovered what a sound effects archive was mm. i didn't know because i said as i said before i have no training and i was like "Ooh, sound effects archive this is so fascinating because again i have this fascination with categories mm. and like how a genre is constructed through categories which are easily found in a sound effects archive and mm. i find that fascinating but in the evening at the same time as i was working in the sound effects archive all day i would go home and just to relax i had kind of become preoccupied with this all these bird videos and in part it's because i was so repulsed and attracted at the same time so yeah it's so funny now to be like doing a fundraiser for i don't even think i could go into a bird sanctuary because it would just um cause too much of a panic reaction uh mm. so it's so funny how these things you know lead you yeah how we're drawn as artists towards things that really 
affect us that yeah. we don't necessarily feel comfortable being beyond the obsession orientation yeah and doing a fundraiser for animals which i'm like actually kind of scared of and he, like being like having become educated in such a way that now i'm like i'm an advocate for like <laughs> birds <laughs> that are need rescuing and it's funny you know all of these things aligned like of course my last name is eagle which is ironic and my collaborator callum that means dove, mm-hmm. as you know, Jamie Callum. Name. Yeah. Funny. Um, you know, it's like, yeah, it means dove and Gaelic and Callum's cat is named Rooster. It's just funny, these things. Mm, that's so interesting. I have one more game to play, I think, to close Ooh, up our conversation. Sure. It's been so fun talking to you, <laughs> Likewise. Um, I have a game of word association. Oh, no, I'm scared. If you'd like, you can close your eyes. <laughs> I'm going to. Okay, there's some good words, though. Illuminati. What? <laughs> Lasers? Swole. Oh, Alex, the parrot, saying, <laughs> mixing up his words. What did he say? He would try to say wool. <laughs> wool whoa at the same time as like he would try to say something else and he comes up with these really bizarre recombined words like swole oh mm-hmm. alex yeah he's dead now thicken pudding merrill streep thrush thrust quintuplets too many <laughs> Apologies to any of the quintuplets listening. <laughs> You're fine. There was a question mark there. Yeah, I think. Yeah. <laughs> to mine? Just in my. In the room. <laughs> Too many? <laughs> Our room is also colored pink at the moment. So I, nice. We must, we must um, shout out to Virage Sonore, the producers of this podcast. They have made the room pink for us. Thank you so much for joining us in oh, the podcast today. This is so lovely. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this podcast, presented by Momenta, Vinal de l'Image. The present edition, guest curated by Ji-Yun Han, is entitled Masquerades, Drawn to Metamorphosis. Join me, Montreal artist and filmmaker Jamie Ross, for more episodes released weekly throughout the run of the Biennale. We have some really cool artists this year. This podcast was produced by Virage Sonore. And the biennial runs in galleries and museums in Jojjage, Muniang, Montreal, from the 7th of September to October 22nd, 2023, on unceded Ganyakahaga territory. Thanks for listening. <laughs>